Uh, I think you need to go in with the intention to just keep going, like not get attached to a certain mileage or a certain amount of hours that you want to make it. Um, because if, like you said, I want to just hit 120 miles, let's say you said, and then you get to 120 miles, it's really hard to keep pushing yourself after when you feel like you've met that goal. So if you just go in really open-ended and you, and you leave it like, like I'm just going to keep going. All I'm going to do is keep lining up until, you know, I time out, basically. The only way you're going to leave this race is by not completing a lap. Yeah. I think will be, yeah, really helpful. And then, you know, keep the calories going in and uh, try and just keep your muscles and your body loose and rested in that time you have between laps. That, my friend, is Courtney Dewalter. And this is the Inspirational Runners Podcast. Hey, everyone. How's everyone doing this week? My name's Robbie Marsh, and I'm your host. So welcome to the podcast. We have one of the world's best ultra runners on the pod this week. I know I shouldn't have any favorites, but there's no hiding that Courtney is one of my ultra running heroes. So it was amazing to be provided with the opportunity to chat. For those who don't know, Courtney won UTMB last year. So we unpacked that experience. She also holds the last one standing record for women and second overall to Johan Steen running an amazing 279 miles. She was the first woman home in the Great Western State with a finishing time of 17 hours, 27 minutes, which is absolutely mind-blowing. She won the Run Rabbit Run 100-mile race in 2016 with, with second place 75 minutes behind. And she retained her title in 2017, even though she battled with temporary blindness in the final 12 miles on a very technical course. Courtney has redefined the pain cave. She is the ambassador to Solomon and is famous for those shorts. At the age of 35, she is very young in the world of ultra running, so we have a lot more to see from this badass. I think Courtney is the most interviewed and podcasted ultra runner out there, so I try my best to navigate away from all of the other questions she's been asked previously, which was a bit of a challenge, but I just wanted to keep it fresh. I'm going to read out a post from the Inspirational Runners podcast public group on Facebook. If you're not a member, make sure you join. We would be delighted to welcome you in. It's from Greg Dillon. He wrote, Every once in a while, a game changer. A maverick arrives to entertain us in the sporting arena and in life too. She is it. She is the most down-to-earth, ordinary person, yet there is nothing ordinary about her. She demolishes everything in front of her and yet is almost embarrassed about her achievements a class act and role model for all aspiring athletes out there. Greg, I think you nailed it there. I couldn't have worded it better myself. Before we start, I'd just like to announce the winner of our free giveaway from the sponsors of this episode, XL Sports, who have been absolutely great for the podcast. That is Ross Jenkin from Cumbria in England. So I hope you can make it. You've been the lucky winner of one free entry into either the 27 kilometers or the 50K Seven Sisters Skyline event that runs through the muckish to Aragal mountain range in Donegal. This is an amazing race, one I'm looking forward to with over 17 countries already being presented. It's on the 15th of August and the places are selling out quickly. So make sure you get your name in and I'll see you on course. Without further delay, I give you Courtney Dewalter. Oh, well, yeah, we were traveling around Ireland in a car, but then exploring by foot wherever we could. How do you prevent yourself from getting burnt out with everything that's going on? Um, the running part, I definitely don't feel burnt out on, I think, because I love it so much. 
and then just fitting in all the other life stuff is part of the game of life, you know? So, um, like making priorities, like we were saying, and then, uh, just trying to squeeze as much, as much day into a day as possible is, uh, kind of how I try and live. Yeah. Do you find that as a continuous struggle? Like over the, I've had a great start to the year, but the last two weeks it slips very, very quickly. If you don't sort of remain disciplined around that, is it simple for you to maintain that? Not simple. That's the wrong word. Like, but, <laughs> um, are you able to hold on to that momentum? Uh, yeah, but like anyone, when you lose the momentum or you fall out of the routine for a couple of days, you, it can be really easy to get into like a little slump. So, um, for the most part, I won't like the training piece. I don't lose momentum on. Sometimes it's like the email piece <laughs> or, you know, those kinds of things, just the, um, or like the house stuff, you know, emptying the dishwasher or whatever mm. is like easy to keep putting that kind of stuff to the side and, and lose, uh, lose your steam behind it. But if you just can, uh, kind of force it for a minute, you, I think, pretty quickly can get back into that groove of efficiency and being productive. Yeah, I find there's nothing worse than having a day off because when I come back to the house, <laughs> you see all of this shit that has to be done that you haven't done for the last few yeah. months. Like, how is this still there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's the start of the year been like for you so far? Is everything going as planned? Yeah, yeah. I um spent the end of last year taking tons of time off, which I hadn't done in multiple years, but basically, uh, my hip injury from last summer kind of re flared up at the end of October last year. And, um, so it was time to finally like shut it down all the way and, um, get it fully healthy before trying to run on it again. So I did not run or do much of anything for most of November and then December was a lot of just like casual getting kind of back into the groove of it. By the time January rolled around then, I was chomping at the bit to get back to a running routine and to get back to getting in miles. So this year, 2020, has started off really well and have been uh, building back up in mileage and um, implementing like all the new injury prevention stuff that I've learned in this past year to make sure I'm building up smartly this time. <laughs> yeah, it is very important though. I have a very small tear in my plantar plate in the front of my foot. Um, oh, I'm sorry it, about that. No, no, it's still cool. I'm still training and running like a lunatic as you do. Um, but to your point, <laughs> I took like a month to six weeks off because um, I was, I've been dealing with it for the last couple of years and sort of managing it because right, I definitely need to clear it. And again, I fell into the trap, but just before I really didn't take a long enough period out. And again, I'm in the rat race. So I'm marking September now, once I get past all my races to just hang up the shoes and get that recovered. Cause it's, yeah. it's really important, especially when you've sort of got time around this time of year, isn't it? When you're sort of a races or middle to the end of the year, like, yeah. Have you integrated anything new into your training regime? based on the sort of issues that you've had over the last year or two? Yeah, I've, uh, I used to do nothing, um, before my run, I would, you know, just put on my shoes and go like straight out of bed if I wanted. And, uh, now I have a whole pre-run routine that involves like hip activation exercises and, um, just general strength. 
and uh, I'm hoping that that pays off. And I also am now um, doing a ton of like body maintenance stuff after my workouts. So um, there's a company called Adaday that makes like all sorts of different uh, rollers or um, different tools you can use to, you know, massage yeah. or that kind of stuff. So I've been using that after my runs to just keep everything moving in the right direction. It's a whole new thing for me, though. I used to not have to stretch or uh, do anything. And, and now I've got like at least an hour every day of the pre-run routine and the post-run routine. Yeah, it's, it's a pain in the ass, like, isn't it? I'm, I'm 44 years of age and I'm still not disciplined enough to do it. But my body is telling me more and more every time I go out for a long run. Yeah. yeah. It's reminding me that this shit needs to be done. Like, Catches up eventually. Yeah. So <laughs> just to go back to last year, UTMB. So I was on course at the same time as you were. Um, I was actually in CCC. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Same, same to you. I didn't have, well, I was going to say I didn't have the same finale, but everybody in Chamonix does have the same finale, no matter what race you're in or what place you're in. Yeah, which is um, so cool. It's the only race I would say that I'm going to have the opportunity to say I finished, I crossed the finish line before Courtney Dewalter. Um, but that's <laughs> obviously because I was doing CCC. <laughs> um, I'm still going to use that. Like, um, But was that your first time in Chamonix? Yes. Oh, my gosh. And it was so beautiful. I loved it. Yeah, it was the same for me as well. I was absolutely blown away by the likes of Mount Blanc and that glacier that was coming down. And there's a small side street by our hotel. Um, every every morning I came out and just went, wow, that is just unbelievable. Yeah. And it was like never got old for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, did you do anything crazy when you were there? Were you there long before the actual race? No, no. We uh, got to we got to France a couple days beforehand. I guess uh, maybe like. Monday or Tuesday of that week. And then we got to Chamonix, I think on Wednesday. Uh, so not tons of time beforehand. And, um, we actually didn't even have tons of time after. So it's still, uh, there's tons to explore still, and it makes it really exciting to plan going back. Yeah. One thing I found during the race was, um, cause my wife and kids were with me as well. Um, who all sort of like trail running, you don't really get to see the trails apart from the race. And as you're, yeah, especially yeah. at the end of the race, you're looking at all these marvelous trails thinking, wow, I need to come back here sometime just to enjoy these. Yeah. Or like the, um, UTMB does a huge, beautiful section in the dark. Um, so I'd love to get back and do that in the light and actually see some of those mountains that we are in. I actually went skydiving the day before the race or paragliding, oh, no way. should I say like, so you, <laughs> you could see all the paragliders going flat yeah, out all yeah. day long thinking how awesome that was but my 12 year old son wanted to do it um so the day before the race me and him went up and um, that's one thing i would definitely recommend it was absolutely awesome like that's so cool so you got the sky view of everything yeah it's just there's something about jumping off a mountain <laughs> yeah yeah wow but it, it was it was pretty cool until the guy gave me the reins for the paraglide paraglided the controls and then i just sort of crap myself for the rest of the journey down but um, but it's really cool. one thing i found surprising was i kept on bumping into people that i knew it was just so random 
um it in chamonix in chamonix during we were there for the week um okay. before the race and we actually traveled home on the sunday but it's such like the ultra running community is quite a tight-knit community isn't it yeah yeah for sure it, i think you it always feels like a family reunion kind of even if you don't know half the people you're saying hi to or you're you instantly feel this connection with them like you've known them your whole life which makes it really fun yeah i i had not seen the course the same as yourself as well um even at the start of the race i was bumping into loads of different people from ireland which was so unusual um but do you enjoy not seeing the course um before the actual race yeah i think there's pros and cons to both of them obviously having course knowledge can be helpful and kind of knowing what's ahead um can work in your favor but i love surprises too and um like starting a race not knowing anything about the trails i'm about to go on is pretty fun because you can't do anything about what the trail does anyways. So you just keep moving forward and do each section as efficiently as you can with, you know, what you've got going for you. So I, I didn't mind not knowing the course. I think, um, I do plan to go back to UTMB this year and it will be fun to now have an idea of what's ahead and, um, be able to, you know, maybe race it differently, just having a little bit of course knowledge. So I don't mind either way, I guess. Yeah, I, I was a, <laughs> I was a real numpty on course. Like I was like a tourist. Yeah. And I, I, I was getting to the top of the climbs and people were just running past me, but I was stopping, looking at the view, trying to get their yeah. attention. Cause I couldn't understand why they were just running past. Like we've just climbed <laughs> to the top of this mountain. Take a look. I was standing there with my two arms out wide, but look at it. Look at that view. Yeah. It's unbelievable. That's so, so cool. I'm glad you were able to do that. <laughs> yeah. I was hoping then I would catch the people up afterwards, like, but just didn't go quite as planned. Um, <laughs> but there were so, there were some amazing parts of that. The one spectacular, I don't know at what time of day you came through. It was um, the small village that you came through just, was it before Champé-Lac or after it? Just before Champé-Lac, um, the small wooden log village. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there was this guy sitting there um, with his cheese board drinking wine. So I sat down next to him um, Yes, <laughs> and it was the, the most coolest experience I think I've ever had. I just thought like, who lives in a place like this? This is so different from my life, my rat race bag at home. Yeah. Could you guys talk? Did he speak English? Um, I did talk to him and no, he couldn't speak English. Okay. Yeah. But I, but I ate half his cheese board and I took a sip of his <laughs> wine. So it was, yeah, but you could... It's just such a different world altogether, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's magic. I I love it. I can't wait to get back there. Yeah, make sure you get some of that cheese if you see a guy sitting there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what did, what did you find was the most challenging aspect of the race? Um, I think for me it was uh, that I was underprepared for that distance and the amount of climbing. So the last 30 miles I was in a really dark place in deep in my pain cave and uh was just kind of trying to survive the last 30 miles which that's quite a far ways to be in survival mode yeah. um so that was the most difficult for me but even that you know has 
like I'm thankful to have been in that dark place for 30 miles because hopefully it will make me stronger for the next time. One part I can really relate to, no, I love saying I can relate to Courtney on course because I came into Champaign-Lac and I was having the absolute race of my life. I've never ran 50K as strong and feeling so good. And I wasn't um, resisting any sort of pain at all. And it was just flowing through me. And it was, I actually couldn't wait until the last three climbs. Um, wow. <laughs> until I ate way too much in Champagne-Lac, drunk way too much Coke. <laughs> and I, st- I come out like a, a walrus. <laughs> just bobbing along the, the water there like in, in the nighttime. And I didn't actually want to stop at Champagne-Lac because... I was feeling so good, but my crew, my family had had been there and everyone before the race told me, make sure you eat before sh- you leave Champagne-Lac. So even though I didn't need to, I just, I got greedy. Yeah. And <laughs> I literally was like a walrus. My stomach had just exploded out so far. And all of a sudden, because um, I started quite at the back of the race. So like I was around 2000 and place and then it was like 1200th going into Champagne-Lac so overtook loads of people Wow! and but coming out there then it all changed and everybody was overtaking me and it was dark and um I just couldn't eat or drink for those last three climbs that makes it pretty tough yeah so you had a pretty similar story though from that point on yeah I I didn't eat and drink too much I actually threw up at Champagne-Lac um but basically we were the same where it was just there was no more energy and uh hauling up and over those last three climbs which are pretty stout climbs was no easy task i hadn't experienced um races on of that length before so my pain cave had a few lights on in it so it wasn't maybe as dark as what yours was (laughs) um so i was really on the pity step if you like being a bit of a victim and I've, what i found and what i learned from that race really is the more you resist it the harder it gets mm-hmm. um and if I, I put a podcast on i'm really vain by the way i put my own podcast on and it was a friend of mine <laughs> um, called paul clark and he had done a 200k race in ireland the carry way and he went, it's just pain. That's all it is. You just need to get on with it. He says, the whole f- when you're racing that long, you just have to live through the pain barrier. And that actually made me feel good. Yeah, no, yeah. This is actually normal. Just hearing him, yeah. him saying those words started to take me out of it um, slightly. It is helpful to experience it, though, and to just start to build that um, understanding and, I guess, like confidence that it's okay to feel what you're feeling and you're gonna still survive and keep moving yeah so i actually developed a mantra then my first ultra running mantra and it was just run if you can walk if you have to but challenge yourself from time to time and nice i, I find just saying that even the challenging you know because you find yourself walking when you shouldn't be and it sort of pushed you on a bit um it sounds like this podcast is about me not you actually but <laughs> no it's perfect. <laughs> um, have you got a mantra or anything like that there to sort of help you glide through those moments? I do, yeah. I um, find myself just repeating, you're fine. This is fine. It's fine. Everything is fine. Um, <laughs> to, I think, kind of just re- reassure myself that, you know, if I'm puking in a bush or if I'm 
moving great. Both of those things are fine. Everything is going according to plan. <laughs> that just sounds so weird. You know that like <laughs> only an ultra runner would get that. Um, but it is true. Yeah. Though, I, I think, um, and I think that is the learning and you talk about the pain cave, the more you can get yourself into that uncomfortable sort of position, it is really fine. It is just part of it. It's when you yeah, start exactly. thinking to yourself that it's not fine, it starts to become a problem. Yeah, well, our brains are so, they're so powerful. So if we get caught in a loop in our brain, it's going to physically impact us. Like if you start spiraling in your head that this is awful and you can't do it and this is the worst scenario, you know, you're going to like physically respond to that where suddenly it will feel like you can't go on anymore. Yeah, so I couldn't eat or drink in the last three climbs. And on the third last climb, my IT band sort of went. And I really started feeling sorry for myself. Like, um, nobody stopped to say hello to me. Or they did. And they just looked at, <laughs> they took one look at my face and went, I'm not talking to him. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> He'll drag you down with you. <laughs> and um, so I just phoned my wife. <laughs> I said, look, it's over. I can't go on anymore. I feel sick. I've got a sore knee. And she go, she just said to me, well, you can't, you can't give up. Like just strap it up and keep going. I went, yes. yeah, she's actually right. <laughs> what am I even yeah, moaning about? A, what a great support crew. Yeah. Um, but one thing I found at the end of the race was, because it was a new sort of level of suffering for me. Um, now, in hindsight, it, I wasn't actually suffering that bad. I just thought I was. But it was a new level of acceptance do you find that you're still getting that in the races that you're going into that you're still learning more and more and actually going deeper and deeper? Oh, absolutely. Um, I like to kind of picture that every time I'm going in the pain cave, I'm back there with a chisel and I'm making <laughs> my pain cave bigger in hopes of the next time, you know, being able to go even farther into it. So it's like a productive place for me to try and be instead of uh wishing I wasn't in it yeah it's it's a strange thing isn't it because I, I don't think you lose it as you said there you've chiseled more out I don't think it ever comes it gets smaller once you've experienced that depth I think you, that depth stays with you then yeah I would think that that's correct because you can always draw on those experiences no matter how long it's been since you've been in the pain cave yeah, because at the end of CCC, I was actually excited then. Well, actually, I was like, that was shit. <laughs> Never again. Then a yeah. couple <laughs> hours later, I was looking how to get my points to reg um, sign up for UTMB next year. <laughs> that's how that's how ultra running is. You forget really quickly. <laughs> and it was, I was excited to actually go back to that place because I've just been through that now and I've learned, yeah, that's grand. Um, so I was excited to test that again and knowing that it wasn't going to be an issue the next time until I go to another level. Yeah, that's really cool. So are you doing UTMB this year? Unfortunately, I didn't get in this year, but I'm okay with that. That's part of the plan. I am in Lavaredo. I can't even pronounce it. Oh, right. yeah. Lavaredo, Lavaredo. You know, <laughs> but it's, a, it's another great family holiday. It's in the Dolomites, 120 kilometers. And I am so looking forward to that, like experiencing that. 
Yeah, so that one's in June, correct? Yeah, it's around the 26th, the 28th of June, I, I believe, okay. around that. I'm never... Cool, good luck. Yeah, so see see the last couple of climbs then. For me, there was body light. There was bodies just absolutely lying everywhere. You know, all of these <laughs> like really elite looking athletes. And I just thought with Courtney coming in, I was wondering were they still lying there when you were coming past? No, no, it was pretty empty up there when I was going through that last climb. Okay, what was what was the finish like for you then? Because you, you sort of come out and you don't really know where you are in relation to Chamonix. I didn't anyway. I was trying to work out looking at the village down below um, where yeah. we were coming coming through. Um, I had sort of looked at my watch and realized, shit, I can actually get under a decent time here. And I just started running because it's quite a heavy descent, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it kind of goes forever. I had no idea where it went either. Um, so I was, uh, just trying to trudge my way down knowing I had to get to the base of this valley eventually and, uh, find my way into town. So I had, there's some guy started challenging me for some strange, crazy reason. Like, and I forgot about all of my pain, my T-band being sick. And because this guy was challenging me, the two of us were running like a seven minute mile. Oh, and, dang. And then we hit the bridge. So do you remember the metal bridge that's over the, the road? Yes, yes. <laughs> and I'm like, are you friggin' joking me? You want me to go up again? Like, cause I know. Now you're on the flat. Um, so what was, the <laughs> la what was that last kilometer like for yourself? Yeah, so crossing that bridge, I, um, I felt like entirely depleted. My body was totally wrecked and my insides, like my brain and just the connections inside were all like, moving through molasses. I couldn't process really what was happening. I was really foggy. But um, once I got over that bridge and the people then started, you know, being lined up on the way into town and it was almost like every single high five was clearing the <laughs> yeah. fog a little bit and um, making it like giving me a little bit more energy so that I could be present during that finish, which I'm really thankful for. I was destroyed though. I was so tired. Yeah. <laughs> You could really actually see that. I actually watched the finish there a few minutes. Uh, well, actually, just before the podcast there. And you could see the energy starting to build back into your face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All those people were, like, passing it to me. It was so cool. And those th it's just one of the best finishes in the world, obviously. With And I think, you know, because we spent quite a lot of time there that week. Um, our hotel was literally three-minute walk away from the finish. And... Um, everybody gets their turn i actually feel yeah. sorry for those guys that are finishing and they're like for ccc if you're fast you're in the middle of the night on your own um my mishap actually meant i finished at half eight in the morning um so i had a good crowd okay. of people out as well and um, but i was actually there when you finished and crossed the line and it was it's quite emotional isn't it yeah yeah and uh to be able to share it with all of those people and to have had this huge adventure, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, mostly by yourself and to return to such a, um, I don't know, such a huge welcome was pretty cool. Like that arch is such an iconic sort of stand in, in the world of ultra run. And what is it like? So one experience I will never have, I don't think, well, I won't say never have, um, but it's running up to that finish line with the finish tape. Um, when you actually see that and you know you've actually won this race, 
Like, is there anything going through your mind or is it just, whoa? Yeah. <laughs> For me, it was mostly, whoa. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I crossed and I, almost immediately I spotted my husband right behind the finish area. And so got to, you know, celebrate and thank him for being out there for 24 hours, you know, helping me get this done. And, um, and then to be able to celebrate with the whole crowd there was really cool. Yeah, cause it's tough on your husband as well, because support crew around the UTMB is quite difficult. My poor family, um, and I didn't know how long it was going to take, because we weren't there that well planned. It took them two hours on the bus to get the champagne lack. lack. Yeah, yeah. And then they see Yeah, it's no joke. They see me for I mean, 15 minutes and that was it. Yeah. And there's a giant mountain in the way in the middle, you know, so like there's no cut through. Everyone has to take the long way around to get places. Like my kids were saying, like, daddy, you should have seen the drops along the side of the road. Oh, geez. They, they were feared for their lives. Like, um, but the poor support crew, they only get to see you for 15 minutes and away you go again. And that's it for another yeah. six or seven hours. They're sort of traveling or trying to catch up with you. Yeah, it's uh, it's so lucky to find people who are willing to to be out there doing that for us. It was unique for me. I was able. We had Ian Keith came in just behind you as well, about an hour and a half. Um, was a phenomenal runner from Ireland who made actually podium as well, I think. <clears throat> and but I was able to. The next day was absolutely amazing on the Sunday. I don't know if you had the opportunity to go down or not. And but to see those guys coming across the line around forty hours, forty-two hours, um, I think I've seen three people propose at the finish line. Wow! <laughs> Which was a, a runner's high that they might regret. I'm not sure, but <laughs> <laughs> well, they had a lot of time to make the decision to do that. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully they're pleased with it. <laughs> but it can go so terribly wrong out there. We had a, I had a friend, Paul Higgins. Um, he actually had done the Great Western States the year before under 24 hours. And it took him 44 hours and 59 minutes. Like that's a, that's a hard day in the office. Like That's amazing. Those people are such warriors and that takes so much uh, it, physical strength, but also really mental strength to stay in it for, for that many hours to keep fighting. I think that's really amazing. It's an amazing day on the Sunday to watch people coming in and you've got the cutoff, which is getting closer and closer. Those are always such inspiring finishes. And all the um, the PTL, the teams coming in, like that is who had been out there like all week, basically. <laughs> I, w I was looking at them. They've got like, shit, they've got helmets on their backpacks. <laughs> like, yes. Why have they got helmets? I mean, they had been on a journey. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. Like... It sounds, is that something that you think you would love to do yourself? Oh, yeah. Eventually, I think that would be a really cool adventure to take on. Um, I don't know when or like how soon, but for sure to see a place in a different way and to share it entirely with a teammate or teammates. Because I think actually now they require teams of three for that. Yeah, that's that's correct. You'd struggle. So that's <laughs> That's kind of cool to um, have to work with people and like through each other's highs and lows when they won't always be synced up. I think that would be really powerful. You better be good friends at the start yeah. of the race. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to be ready for all of it. Yeah. So you moved on to the World Championships then. Um, a good friend, Gillian Connolly, was over there from Ireland. Um, she runs, we run, Northern, we run Northern Ireland. If I've got that wrong, I'm in so much trouble. 
Um, <laughs> we're actually doing a marathon with her tomorrow night, which is the midnight marathon, which is pretty cool. It's a trail race. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so how did you find the 24 hours after coming off UTMB? I actually struggled with fatigue. I didn't think it was yeah. fatigued, but I, when I was going out to do a few runs, I had no pace or anything. Um, did you find out the same then going into the 24 hours? Yeah, and I kind of, my hip injury had been, you know, kind of lingering a little bit. Basically, after Western States, when I got injured, um, my physical therapist team and I got it where it was good enough to race UTMB. And then we, I raced UTMB, obviously, and um, that, you know, triggered it a little bit because it was never fully healed after Western States. Um, so I spent quite a few weeks just like recovering from UTMB and trying to get right that ship before starting to train again for the 24 hour. And, uh, I think I was physically fatigued, but also my hip was just like not ready to put in that many big miles of flat running. So the 24 hour race didn't go quite as I had hoped, but, um, it was a great learning experience. When you see the likes of Camille, are you deep down thinking, are you both extremely supportive of each other or secretly deep down inside you just want to beat each other? <laughs> I mean, so we're on the U.S. team together um, and we had a really awesome women's U.S. team as well as a men's U.S. team. And um, in general, the the vibe is, you know, we want to be successful as a team. And so to be successful as a team each of us individually needs to have a successful day. So I don't know. I think the 24 hour race format is cool because, um, beforehand, you know, you got to kind of just pick your, what's your goal number? What are you going to shoot for? And then hit the pace that would go for that. And so like Camille and I, she, her pace was much faster. Her goal number that, you know, she's going for was much higher. Um, so we didn't run together at all. You know, we weren't like, really aiming for the same thing, but we were both hoping, I think, you know, I'm not a mind reader for her, but I would guess we're both hoping that each of us has a great day so that our team can have a great day. Yeah. So that, that competitiveness between the both of you is going to help support the team and yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like having a field assembled like that with, you know, greats from all over the world, just bring out the best in people, hopefully. Now, Camille, Camille had mentioned she pu puked up a couple of times. Um, we had Maggie Goodrell on the podcast a few weeks ago as well. Um, is this, <laughs> like, is it, it shows you how hard it is to tie down the food, but this is, the, is this a normal thing to do in the 24-hour race? <laughs> I think uh, hopefully not. Hopefully you can get your nutrition dialed where you don't have that happen. But it's definitely not something that um, derails a race. Like you can puke and still have a great day. As Camille <laughs> showed, you know, she set a world record and, and she had um, some stomach issues. So it's never something that should induce panicking. You just have to stay calm and like solve the problem, you know, so figure out what does go in, what can make it so your stomach can settle a little bit. Have you got any any sort of tips for settling your stomach? I found now rice pudding seems to be a bit of a winner for me. But oh, yeah. Once it's once I've hit the pukes, it's um kind of uh <laughs> like 
it's a moving target on what thing is going to stay in. But I think um, for me, if I do start having stomach problems, I just have to stay open-minded to ideas and just be willing to try things um, and, and see what happens. So, you know, everyone's got their tricks. So rice pudding, you know, if you had been there and my stomach had turned and you said, try this, it works for me. Of course I would have tried it because at that point, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. I, you know, like I puke again, that's fine. <laughs> it's part and parcel of it. I suppose we start to get used to it. So this year yeah. you've got some, I know it's sad, like, isn't it really? We're going to listen, listen back to this and think, geez, why would anybody? This is such a great advertisement for ultra running, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this year you've targeted the Desert, the desert Rats 150 miler which sort of surprises me because it's like, it's only a month out from the hard rock. Yeah. So that's not, um, I would say my target races for this year are hard rock UTMB and then Biggs backyard. And, um, then I'm just sort of figuring out some different ways to train for those goal races. So the desert rats, Cocopelli trail is a stage race that is one week long and you cover 150 miles. Um, and so for me, the hope of that is that it's a great training, like last big push before hard rock and, uh, getting ready to get some big miles in that summer. It sounds pretty cool as well. Like it sounds like a, a bit of an adventure week. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like paradise to me. You yeah. get to just run every day and then have like camp set up when you get to the next spot. And it's a a point to point. So we'll run from, you know, one part of Colorado to Moab, Utah, which I think will be just really stunning. And, um, I think pretty like isolated and I think it will feel very peaceful. So you have a 50 miler then planned in between it and the hard rock, um, see these names. Like I would love to pronounce them, but I would just kill them. San Juan Solis. How about that? San Juan Solstice. Yep. Yeah. That's what I said. The, yeah. <laughs> The mountains down there are called the San Juan Mountains. And so those are the same mountains that Hard Rock is in. Okay. Um, so that will be just a great way to get my climbing legs and altitude lungs ready to rock for Hard Rock. Yeah. Do you think that's, well, I suppose a combination of the both of them, like this, it's around 33,000 feet, isn't it? The Hard Rock. Um, but which is more challenging, the climbing or the actual altitude? Well, I don't know. I've never done hard rock, so we'll right, find okay. out. <laughs> I think the combination. Michael Charlton um, posted a, a question. There. How much does your training change depending on the distance you're racing, like between 100K to 100 miler? Does it change um, much if you're going for a 200 miler or going for 100K, or do you just look for those B races to sort of fill those gaps? Yeah, I think since all my races are are the ones I'm always targeting are the long ones. My training stays the same. And then those hundred K 50 mile, 50 K races always just are great training days. Um, but in general, I'll keep, you know, the same basic mileage happening every week, even if I'm doing a 200 mile race or a hundred mile race. So, okay. um, it doesn't change too much. So you've hard rock, um, UTMB, then you mentioned bigs as yeah. a phenomenal lineup. I'm actually doing my first last one standing race in two weeks. I'm very time. excited for you to experience this. <laughs> hey, what part? <laughs> the pain <laughs> cave, a different level. Yeah. 
oh man, it's just such a cool way to find your own limit and to push that a little bit. So without giving any sort of strategy away, because it's a very difficult one to talk about, isn't it? Without actually disclosing what your strategy is going to be about. But what would be your top three tips for me going into that race? Uh, I think you need to go in with the intention to just keep going, like not get attached to a certain mileage or a certain amount of hours that you want to make it. Um, because if, like you said, I want to just hit 120 miles, let's say you said, and then you get to 120 miles, it's really hard to keep pushing yourself after when you feel like you've met that goal. So if you just go in really open-ended and you, and you leave it like, like I'm just going to keep going. All I'm going to do is keep lining up until, you know, I time out. Basically, the only way you're going to leave this race is by not completing a lap. Yeah. I think will be, yeah, really helpful. And then, you know, keep the calories going in and uh, try and just keep your muscles and your body loose and rested in that time you have between laps. What about um, taking naps in between? Do you think that's a good strategy or do you think it's possible even? Yeah, well, so I've only done one of these and I'm definitely no what? expert, but... Um, 279 I, miles and only done one. <laughs> I I couldn't figure out the sleep game during the, the backyard race that I did a couple of years ago. And um, so I, I can't speak from knowledge, but I would say that if you can to close your eyes and try and shut down your brain for a couple minutes, especially as it gets later into the race would be helpful. I just couldn't get it to work. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're, if you're able to go for a couple of days and um, that's yeah. what really catches you out. So you mentioned in a previous podcast about potatoes and pasta. Now we're from Ireland, so we have served potatoes up every which way, but loose. Um, but I've never heard <laughs> about potatoes and pasta. What's all that about? So pierogies. Okay. They're called pierogies. They're these little pasta shells that are filled with mashed potatoes, basically, and maybe some cheese. <laughs> it's just a, it's pure carbohydrates. <laughs> An ultra runner's dream then. Perfect yeah, exactly. Food. Yeah. <laughs> So an another race I'm targeting this year, uh, my last race of the year, is actually the Barclay Classic. So I'm, wow, I'm cool. luck lucky enough um, to get into that as well. Um, but one thing I picked up in the in Biggs is that it works together well when you're sort of in a team in those early stages and there's four or five of you working together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think... Uh there's power in numbers and um, it also just makes the whole thing feel less crazy when there's multiple people doing it together. So to, to work towards something like that Barclay classic with a group or Biggs backyard, you know, to feel like the people racing it are your teammates and not your competition. Just, I think uh, helps us all find our limits. Yeah. So, with the women, women ultra running scene just sort of growing with some phenomenal talent coming through the likes of yourself, Camille, uh, Maggie Guterall, etc. Um, this might be a tricky question, but the Barclay has never been finished by a female athlete yet. In my mind, if there was a team of five women going in there with a strategy um, that you would sort of pin Laz to the wall, 
if you were going to go in there <laughs> as a team of five, who would the other four women be that you would just select to be part of your team? Oh my gosh. Well, for sure, Maggie. Um, I think, I mean, I, I've never met Nikki Spinks, but I saw the documentary about her doing the Barkley this past year yeah, and she's, awesome, she's right? yeah, she's so strong and, um, I think more than capable of getting it done. So I, yeah, of course would choose her. And, uh, I think like Darcy Pequeux would be really strong on that course or Megan Hicks is an amazing ultra runner and also the one of the co-founders of I Run Far, the website. Um, she would be incredible out there. Oh man, there's so many. And yeah. and then the yeah, the women from, you know, around the world that haven't had the chance to get on that Barkley course, but would be so powerful and strong on it. So there it is, there is the ingredients already. So um what do you think you would bring to the team? <laughs> That, that was that was that wasn't very fair was it <laughs> yeah i guess maybe the jokes yeah but all jo all joking aside though that is i think uh, a key aspect of it isn't it though to stay you know you, you always see good ultra runners that are quite often smiling on calls yeah i think so i think uh it it would keep everyone focused on the task as well as you know keep the morale high just having that ability to bounce ideas off of each other and also just, you know, shoot the breeze and have some fun. Do you think that would happen in the Barclay that you would actually group up as part of a strategy beforehand and then attack Laz? I mean, sorry, attack <laughs> Barclay. <laughs> I have no idea. I think that course is so challenging and mm. um, the task at hand is so big that I don't think there's a need for any ulterior motive of, you know, attacking. I think you just can do what you can on it and see what happens. How do you think Laz would react to a lady breaking the Barkley? I think he would be thrilled. Yeah, he would surely. Like, <laughs> he was in he, the... Go, I sorry. mean, the cool part of his races is he's just setting up all these different ways for us to challenge ourselves and find out more about what we're each capable of. And so he's got, you know, these fun formats to allow people to do that. So he wants people to find their limits. And if a woman were to finish Barkley, I think he'd be the first one to bear hugger and, and uh, you know, be psyched about it. Yeah, without a doubt. We had John Kelly on the podcast last week, um, who's absolutely phenomenal. And he actually mentioned, Laz said, was the only person that gets cheated in the Barkley is the person that finishes because they don't <laughs> get to see how far they could have went. Yeah, yeah. Which oh I'm... man, Jasmine Paris would be a great person yeah. on the team for the Barkley. Yeah. Oh, so many great options. Um, and he was <sighs> he was actually in the Birmingham Running Festival last week. Laz was. Yeah, I saw I saw his Lego figure. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty cool. Like oh, he was super cool. When asked how hard is the Barkley, he said it was like having a vasectomy with a rusty spoon. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um that's so much like Laz, but a very clever sort of individual yeah yeah <laughs> so john kelly he came first in the spine race last week is that something that would interest you absolutely i i mean i was following along all week that those dots moving across the screen i was you know 
and like thrilled with Jasmine Paris's win the year before, I think it was. And uh, it's, it's just cool. It's a cool challenge. I think that would be fun to take on at some point. Yeah. How do you think you would handle the weather? I don't know, but that'd be part of the fun. <laughs> I've, I'm from Minnesota, so okay. we have like I've experienced very cold weather. I just have never done a race through such cold weather for so long. Yeah, I'm I'm planning on registering for next year. I haven't fully committed yet. I just don't know whether or not I've entered enough pain caves yet <laughs> to, <laughs> to get me through that. I don't know if I've earned my stripes um, to actually enter the race yet, so I don't know whether to push it out for another year and take a yeah. bit more pain before I go in. Um, but it is... Well, keep me, keep me posted on what you decide. Yeah, no problem. One, one thing <laughs> that worries me is my feet, because my feet do suffer in those longer races around the 22 23 hours um and i on those type of courses because when you get real boggy sort of wet ground which there aren't many trails i find that you're pulling your feet out of the mud an awful lot mm -hmm. and just like your feet swell and they ache what do you do to try and i suppose protect your feet which are your biggest asset on course yeah i do um Squirrel's nut butter is an anti-chafe salve, I guess, that I spread all over my feet and on each toe and stuff. And then I use in gingy toe socks. Um, and then the Solomon shoes that I run in, which I've been loving the S-Lab Ultra 2s. Basically, that combination has kept me blister-free and um, problem-free in my foot area. I think on the spine, if I were to do that race, maybe planning for a shoe change or at least to switch out socks and reapply that squirrel's nut butter would be helpful in making sure everything, you know, to just mitigate any problems. Squirrel nut butter. I'm just confirming that's what you did say. Yeah. Squirrel's <laughs> nut butter. It's uh, based in Flagstaff, Arizona here, but um, it's a really awesome anti-chafe salve. Okay. That's cool. Um, and you, as you said there, Jasmine really elevated the sport over here of ultra running last year. We, she obviously beat all the men and she broke the record by 11 hours, which was absolutely mind blowing. So cool. Yeah. But then we had on the back of that Maggie who beat all the men in bigs. Yep. So cool. Obviously Camille breaking the world record. It's just growing and growing and growing. What is it do you think is causing that shift? in female ultra running is it something that you've already all these guys knew you had and you've been hiding it all these years because we're too insecure <laughs> to show it or is it something that um people are just starting to get more self-belief in themselves yeah i don't i'm not sure i can pinpoint it but i think um the belief in yourself and um just being willing to try something and not limit yourself based on being a female or a male is is huge and so to have more people in general doing that is just going to elevate the sport and specifically to have you know more women doing that i think is really cool so i think it's a really fun time to be a part of ultra running and i'm uh thankful to to be in this sport during this time a big race this year obviously is or a big event should i say is because you can't really call it a race but it's the big backyard ultra um i had laz on the podcast a few weeks ago and he is super excited he just can't wait 
um yeah everybody <laughs> coming this year johan steen coming back um yourself camille maggie will and there's a lot there's a quite a few unknowns as well um which in this type of race you know anybody has a good opportunity to win but do you think we're going to see the 300 mile marker broken this year i hope so yeah i think uh with the people that are coming and uh I think with just in general, all of us wanting the same thing of, you know, finding out a new human limit, I think we'll be pushing into the 300s for sure. And I hope to be a part of that group, you know, that keeps on circling the four mile loop every hour. I am really excited. October seems so far away, but <laughs> I, uh, I'll practice some patience and uh, not get ahead of myself with training for that. <laughs> But it's it's such a unique event that has just taken off globally. There's over a hundred now events around the world. Um, I think it was India that there was a young eighteen year old um just Yeah, won. that just happened. It was in India, yeah. wasn't it? I think it was India. Yeah, it was. Something tells me he ran around hundred and sixty odd miles, like eighteen years of age. Like what That's the heck? That's so cool. Yeah. There's so many different types of races for long distance. So you had the to I'm going to call it Tahoe 200. It's Tahoe 200. Um, a friend of ours we had on the podcast actually done the Bigfoot 200. Oh, yeah, last cool. Year as well. They're all pretty different to each other, aren't they? Um, you know, he, one thing he mentioned was the one thing stuck out in his mind on the Bigfoot 200 was how grassroots the whole community was around that. What type, which event do you prefer the best? It's impossible to choose, yeah. but um, I'm drawn towards those longer ones right now. So 100 miles, I think, is a really fun challenge. I think those 200s are so cool to problem solve for multiple days and to get out on those remote sections, traveling with your feet, you know, around this huge loop. Um, and then I'm so curious with this big backyard format, like what are the different variables that I can control to help me keep going farther and and not give up on it. And I mean the big backyard ultra format like you have to have multiple people who can keep going too in order to keep the race going. So I just think it's so cool and it um it kind of like I don't know, like gets your imagination going yeah. with with what can actually happen and how far humans can go. And what sort of mental barriers we can break through by forcing ourselves to keep running this four-mile loop. He's created something really unique there, hasn't he? Like, there's no end to the possibilities. It's incredible. Yeah, I love it. I, I'm so thankful that people like Laz are out there, you know, coming up with these crazy ideas that mean we get to test ourselves. <laughs> I I, th I feel like I know it's my first event in two weeks time which is in Castle Wald um, where they film the Game of Thrones which would be pretty unique it's a lovely wee course there's about 300 foot of climbing on each loop and it's like a, a mountain bike trail okay um, but I do feel I need to do like three or four of those events that I don't have this is wrong to say I don't have huge I, d I have a lot of learning to do so I feel I need to have three or four events before I actually start to understand it and get good at it. Yeah, I think uh, experience in those ones is super helpful. And and I'm um, I'm pumped to get to return to that format again this year and 
and try and, you know, implement a little bit of what I learned in the first one and hopefully learn some more by doing it again. Have you thought about any of the rounds? So you have the likes of Nikki Spinks, who's done our double rounds, the Paddy Buckley, the Bob Graham and the Charlie Ramsey. And we even had John Kelly trying to do each of the rounds in one go and cycle in between yeah. each. Yeah. Which was a bit random. Um, the grand so round, cool. the grand round, he called it. Um, yeah. Have you thought about doing any of those? Would, would those sort of attract you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, just getting to explore new places like that and, and push myself a little bit on something would be really fun. And um, I've never, I have never attempted an FKT on, on anything here in the States or anywhere in the world. So I think eventually I would like to look into, you know, some more of those routes and, and what's out there. Cause, um, that's a really cool way to, to do something besides racing that still, you know, gets to put you in your pain cave and explore a new area. Yeah. Well, we have a cool round here in Northern Ireland called the Dennis Rankin round. Um, nobody has yet to do the double. So I challenged Damien Hall, Nikki Spinks, John Kelly, so Courtney. <laughs> I'm throwing that out there. There's free accommodation right. and there's guides all around the place. Um, somebody's going to be the first to do it. Um, Thank you. I will uh, be Googling that later <laughs> today. <laughs> so listen, just to finish off, instead of having questions at the end, I've got a test. Oh boy. I, which I wrote today to determine whether or not you're a true ultra runner. Oh, geez. So just yes or no answers. I'm going to just rhyme these off very quick. So you've met more friends on the trail than you have at the bar. <laughs> yes. Um, you've tried to sleep whilst walking. Yes. You've had awesome hallucinations without taking mind-bending drugs. Yes. Jesus, this is, this, this is weird, by the way. But you've, e <laughs> you've eaten salt on its own without tequila. Uh, no. Ooh. That's a black spot. You put Vaseline on your feet and butt in a public pace, place and consider this to be normal. No. I did that at the start of CCC and it was quite embarrassing, actually. I was in the... Yeah. But anyway, forget about that. Um, you've invited friends away for the weekend so they can feed you whilst you run. Yes. Thank you, friends. <laughs> you've had the pleasure of pulling off your own toenails. Yes. You have more buckles than you do belts. <laughs> yes. Your weekend <laughs> runs are limited by how much time you have, not by how far you can run. Yes. You use 50-mile races as training runs and marathons as speed work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You've been on extremely... This one's, this one's a cool one, though. You've been on an extremely long bus ride only to get off and run back to the place you got on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a crazy sport. <laughs> um, you continue to shove calories down your throat even though you can't stop puking. Absolutely. And you embrace the pain cave and see it as a place of growth and great teaching rather than a place to be feared. A hundred percent. Wow, Courtney, you, you passed there with flying co colors. <laughs> I have to say when I was writing that, I was thinking the same, like this is, I love the one, um, You've been on an extremely long bus ride only to get off yeah. and run back to where you get on. It's so true, though. It's a good uh, quiz that you wrote up there. <laughs> Unfortunately, everybody that's an ultra runner listen to that. They're going to be going, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. 
Obviously. <laughs> we got we got <laughs> problems there. <laughs> to just finish off one question then, and I, I really do appreciate your time. Um, ultra running, technically speaking, is a sport, but to us, it's, I think it's more than that. What does ultra running mean to you as a whole? Yeah, for me, it's a lot of things, but it's wrapped up in community and sharing those miles and memories with people and a way to find our limits and, and see what humans are actually capable of. Courtney, that's absolutely beautiful. We're going to wrap it up at that. Um, listen, I really appreciate your time. Sorry for the hiccups at the beginning. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Good luck in your backyard. I can't wait to hear how it goes. Yeah, well, I've been listening to, we obviously had Laz, Maggie and Will Haywood on the podcast. So for those that are doing the backyard, if you listen to that, there's quite a lot of tips in what you should and shouldn't do. Um, <laughs> but I think the main thing is, as long as I time out on course, and I always make it to the start line. I think I'll be happy no matter what the result is. So, Yeah, perfect. Have a great time out there. Okay, appreciate it. Thanks again, Courtney. Have a good one. Good luck for the rest of the year. Bye. What an epic episode. Not sure if you can tell that I was slightly starstruck, but it was a real gift of the podcast to get chatting to Courtney. An amazing talent, an all-round human being. Just like to thank everyone for all their support. This is our 100th episode and it wouldn't be where it is today without every last one of our listeners or guests. We have a new sponsor coming on board, We Run Wild NI, hosted by race directors Gary and Gillian Connolly. Two great ultra runners themselves, Gillian who does run internationally for her country. Hope to get on the podcast in a few weeks. Um, she's going to kill me for not getting the name right during this week's podcast. But as I said, I was starstruck, so I'm sure she'll forgive me. Their next race is on the 8th of March, Castle to Castle 50k Trail Marathon, which there are only a handful of places remaining. If you're interested, just check out their Facebook page for more details. We have Kevin Seward on the podcast next weekend, who just ran the fastest marathon in Seville um, for a runner from Northern Ireland and the second fastest ever by somebody from Ireland with a mind-blowing 2 hours, 10 minutes and 9 seconds. So that will be interesting. Make sure you tune in. Thanks again for your support over the last 100 episodes. I hope you're continuing to enjoy and you will do in the future. Until next week, stay safe and keep on moving. <laughs>